Good morning to you. Welcome to 2023. Uh, my name is David Innes, as you can see from the slide. Um, I am a director of a Christian charity called Vancouver Urban Ministry, which operates in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Uh, we help little children with learning difficulties to learn to read and to write and to spell and to catch up to their grade level. Um, I'm delighted to be uh, with you this morning. And I don't know what your hopes are for the next 12 months, uh, but one thing I think we can say for certain that a lot can really change in a year. One little example of this kind of dramatic change uh, occurred with one of our students called Peter in our downtown Eastside tutoring program. Uh, when Peter joined our program, he couldn't read at all, and he was pretty non-communicative. Uh, Peter is a, a First Nations child brought up by a single mom. And uh, at first, the tutor thought she was really failing in tutoring uh, Peter because there was very little response uh, from him at all. And yet, in the last year, uh, things have began to change. She kept praying for him, and she kept uh, teaching him through the tutoring program. And in the last year, he really began to grasp reading and writing, and uh, it really took off. And so, in the last year, Peter's actually caught up uh, to his grade level in reading and writing. And his mom wrote this, Peter is now doing very well in school. He has taken more leadership roles, such as reading to a kindergarten student and helping the teacher prepare for the next class during lunch. His teacher has noted the great improvements in Peter, and he's very proud of Peter. I'm so pleased to see Peter working hard and growing into a confident young man. I think all the help Peter has received from his tutor has brought about the changes in Peter. And I can guess what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, I wonder if that tutor is available for my son or daughter in this coming year. But unfortunately, uh, she isn't available. But whatever side of this kind of, relation, this kind of relationship you look at, it's really amazing to be part of something where one person is sharing their wisdom, uh, their knowledge, even their character uh, with another person, and they see such a wonderful outcome. I know personally that I've been fortunate in my life to have people to come alongside me who have seen in me the potential despite my shortcomings and failings and have come alongside me and encouraged me to be all uh, that God would have me to be. But what I want to highlight today is that even though it's wonderful to be on the receiving end of that kind of encouragement, it's just as rewarding and maybe even more so to be the one giving the encouragement and giving uh, the knowledge uh, to someone else. As we start this new year, uh, we often think about New Year's resolutions to make ourselves a slimmer, fitter, better, wealthier version of ourselves in the coming year. We resolve to stop eating Christmas candy for breakfast. Uh, we say that we're going to do more walking, uh, greater than just walking from the house to the car, and so on and so on to make ourselves a better person. But I want to suggest uh, to you th this morning that rather than just thinking about how I'm going to make myself uh, better this year, which is a good thing, uh, that this year we make a priority or a goal uh, around who am I going to invest in in the coming year. I have this strong position that at the end of this new year you'll discover that both of these goals of making myself better and investing in others are actually complementary and they work together. 
You see, if we're going to make an impact for God through our lives, and I want to be part of extending God's kingdom in a meaningful way, I need to be thinking about who am I investing in? Who am I passing my experiences and wisdom onto? When Jesus was asked what the most important principle was for guiding the lives of his followers, he didn't hesitate. He said, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, as we, talk about, as we begin to talk about this idea of investing in others, of encouraging others, some of you feel that you may not be the kind of Yoda figure from Star Wars, the all-knowing mentor and wise one. Uh, perhaps you feel you don't have all the resources you need to help someone on their life's journey. You may be quite new to Christian faith, and you may feel that you're just learning yourself what it is to follow Jesus and, and what it is to uh, be a follower uh, in a, a meaningful way. But the truth is, few, few of us really feel prepared uh, to be a mentor, to be an encourager of others. But this morning, I want to encourage you uh, to put your fear and doubts behind you and look together at what I consider to be one of my heroes, a giant in the New Testament. I want to see how simply being an encourager made a gigantic difference to the people around him and also uh, to the kingdom of God and what God was doing in his day. So just for a moment, I want you to imagine that you're so well known for encouraging people around you that people stop referring to you by your birth name and start to get, call you a nickname. And I don't know if you've had a nickname in life. I remember at high school I was called Moses. Uh, for sharing about Jesus and uh, several other nicknames through uh, my life. But suppose the nickname becomes so common that people actually forget your birth name and only know you um, by that name. Luke, the author of Acts, introduces us to someone called Joseph, who was a Levite from Cyprus at the end of the fourth chapter. And it's almost a throwaway introduction. It's a one-liner that just introduces us to this person. But really what it is, is a glimpse into something that's going to be very uh, meaningful uh, for the church uh, going forward. It's a glimpse into a life uh, that is, uh, is not only transformational for the person, but transformational for the kingdom of God. Luke explains that early in his Christian faith, uh, the apostles Peter, James, and John, and the others who were the first followers of Jesus, started to give Joseph a nickname, and that nickname was Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, we read this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so Joseph became known as Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And it's interesting that after this brief introduction in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is mentioned uh, throughout Acts. 23 times he's called Barnabas, but he's never really mentioned uh, by his actual name. It's the same with the Apostle Paul mentions Barnabas in his letters, and each time it's the name Barnabas is used, and he's never called uh, Joseph uh, by Paul. And so Barnabas didn't earn this nickname by just a few slaps in the back or high fives after the, the church service. What he did was something far more powerful. In fact, the Greek word 
which is translated encouragement in Acts chapter 4, is the word paraklesos, which means to come alongside. The word encouragement used about Barnabas comes from the same root as the word Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a paraclete, another helper who will come alongside. So Barnabas, Barnabas was known not just for offering a few words of encouragement or comfort, but for actually coming alongside uh, people, from, share, from sharing himself emotionally by his presence. He was there, and he's encouraging people to stay strong in their faith through difficulties and to be all that God had called them uh, to be in their lives. It was not surprising that Barnabas was one of the first to sacrificially give uh, towards uh, the new church, the new group of, Jeru of Christians who were meeting in Jerusalem. He actually went as far as to sold some land, some of his inheritance, uh, so that he could bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. And this spirit of encouragement in Barnabas didn't just spring up from a natural tendency that he has, but it came from a deep, passionate love for Jesus and a desire to follow Jesus with all that he had. Barnabas uh, invested in, uh, his inheritance in the kingdom of God, and for him it was a natural response to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So whatever Barnabas was doing, the name stuck. And throughout his life, after uh, these first uh, encounters with the Christians, he became simply known as Barnabas. And as we read his life story, we begin to see how this spirit of encouragement was so transformational, not only for him, not only for those he came in contact with, but for the church itself. Now, in most cases, when someone repents and puts their faith in Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus, they're welcomed into uh, the church with open arms. I think we saw it a couple of weeks ago with the baptism we had here. Uh, after the baptism, there was much hugging and welcoming and, uh, and excitement about someone uh, becoming a Christian. But you know, when someone comes to faith with a notorious path, past, sometimes that um, welcome is a bit more muted. A few years ago, I was watching a French documentary, uh, and it was about um, a team going through Liberia and looking at the country of Liberia. And during their travels, they met and interviewed a man called Joshua Milton Blaye. And Joshua's story was miraculous and perhaps even a scandalous story of how he was transformed by the love and grace of uh, our Lord Jesus. You see, previously Joshua was a warlord in Liberia, and he was actually known as the Butt-Naked Commander, great name. Uh, Joshua led an army of naked soldiers who were responsible for child sacrifice, cannibalism, slaughter, and horrific acts of violence towards thousands upon thousands of adults and children in his own country. In fact, the UK Daily Mail newspaper called him the most evil man in the world. And yet, Jesus appeared to him in a dream one day, and he offered Joshua the opportunity for life or death. And Joshua chose life, and he turned his evil, dark heart over to Jesus. And a miracle happened. God came in by his Holy Spirit, and a transformation uh, took place in the life of Joshua. 
And when the French camera crew met him, he was, uh, he was already reaching out to boy soldiers to tell them the good news of Jesus, to rescue them out of the mayhem that was happening in Liberia, uh, to teach them how to become followers of Jesus and how to become productive uh, people uh, in this world. And so in some instances like that, the gospel can seem scandalous. It can seem uh, downright scandalous. And in one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103, David writes this, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So you see, no matter how dark our past is, no matter how deep we've sunk into sin, when we come and give our hearts to Jesus, he forgives us and removes our sin. He puts his spirit within us and he transforms us. And he also calls us to join him uh, in the sharing the good news uh, with others. And in Barnabas' day, Saul of Tarsus had that same kind of history. See, one day Saul arrived in Jerusalem and he approached the church and he claimed that he had met Jesus. And he, he claimed that he was now a follower of Jesus. And not only that, but he wanted to join uh, with the Christians in Jerusalem. But none of the Christians really trusted him. You see, Saul's history involved him energetically pursuing the first Christians. His aim was to completely destroy the young church before it really ever got going. You see, Saul literally held the courts of those who were stoning the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He stood by um, approving and encouraging those who were murdering uh, Stephen by stoning him. In Acts chapter 7, we read this. Uh, they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And after Stephen's death, a terrible persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem. So much so that the Christians were scattered all over in Judea and Samaria. And the only Christians left in Jerusalem were the apostles themselves. And Saul was right at the center of that persecution. We read in Acts chapter 8 that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul even went as far as to volunteer to go to Damascus to find the Christians who had fled there and to bring them back to Jerusalem so they could stand trial and ultimately uh, be put in prison. But it's ironic that it was on that journey as he went down to uh, persecute the Christians that he encountered Jesus in a vision and his whole life was transformed and his heart was changed and he turned from being the persecutor of the church to being a follower of Jesus. And not only that, but Saul received a calling from Jesus that would uh, impact and define the rest of his life. But for Saul, the start of his Christian life was not easy. When, when Saul turned up in Jerusalem, the disciples were all afraid of him. They knew his history and they kind of suspected that Saul's claim to be a Christian was a kind of trick uh, to capture more Christians and throw them in jail. But that's where Barnabas, the son of encouragement, stepped in. In Acts chapter 9, we read this, but Barnabas took 
Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul and his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas took his life in his hands and he went and he met with Saul and he found out all about Saul's story. And so he was able to bring him with confidence uh, to um, uh, the apostles. He had seen the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul firsthand, and he was able to present him to the uh, apostles literally as a new person whose history no longer defined his future. Saul later wrote these words, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I don't know if Saul actually heard these words from Barnabas, but I like to think that he really did, that this was part of Barnabas' encouragement. So being an encourager for Barnabas certainly involves seeing the work of God in the lives of others, no matter how dark their past is, and encourage them to follow Jesus with all their heart and with all their mind. Barnabas stood with, with Saul, and because of his boldness, Saul was accepted by the apostles and accepted into the community. It was interesting that Barnabas didn't just take Paul under his own wing, but he presented them to the apostles uh, because perhaps he felt it was the apostles who were best placed to guide Paul and to give him direction uh, for his, his future ministry. And sometimes for us, that's what encouragement looks like as well. It's about inviting someone to come to church. It's maybe introducing them to others who can direct their lives. And that is a, a tremendous encouragement uh, that we can, uh, we can give to others. If, if Barnabas had not brought Saul to the apostles, can you imagine what the church would have been like without the Apostle Paul planting churches all over the Roman world? And what would the New Testament would be like without the letters of Paul written to these churches? And so what an amazing impact he made just in that moment of reaching out to Paul and presenting him to the apostles. Now, when Saul met Jesus in a vision, Jesus didn't just call Saul to become a follower. He actually called Saul to a great mission that he had prepared for him. Acts chapter 9 describes the mission. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. We might think it was such an, un an, an unusual choice that Jesus would choose, choose the persecutor of the church uh, to be the spokesman for the church to the Gentiles. But what a great calling that Saul had on the, for the rest of his life. But you know, having a great calling and fulfilling that calling are two different things. The calling can sound amazing, but the fulfilling takes faith and perseverance, moments of self-doubt and self-questioning. And yet Paul had this great calling in his life. Most of us have heard of Billy Graham, the great evangelist. It's reckoned that Billy Graham spoke, uh, uh, taught the gospel to more than 250 million people worldwide uh, during his lifetime. But in his, his autobiography called Just As I Am, he describes his first experience of actually preaching the gospel. Uh, Billy had learned four sermons while he was in Bible school. He learned four sermons that he could preach when he was, when he was going to be asked to preach. And eventually the day arrived when he was asked to preach at Bostock uh, Baptist Church in the United States. 
When the moment came for him to preach, he said he stood up and his legs were shaking. He was terrified as he uh, approached uh, the, the pulpit to begin to preach. And he preached his first sermon, but it seemed to end so quickly. So he kept going and he preached his second sermon. And that ended quickly as well. So he kept going with his third and then his fourth sermon. And when he looked at the clock, he discovered he'd only been preaching for eight minutes and he sat down embarrassed. But fortunately, that wasn't the end for Billy. He had a, a mentor and an encourager who kept uh, encouraging him to keep on going and eventually became the great evangelist to the world and also the one who was called on by successive presidents to give them wisdom and to pray for them. Saul's first step to follow his calling did not go too well for him either. He was fiery. He spoke boldly about Jesus. He was committed. He had strong arguments for his audience. But the end results is not really what we'd expect from a sermon. His audience wanted to kill him, and they tried to kill him after he preached his sermon. Not the best ending to a sermon. Well, and I hope that doesn't happen today. Uh, to make matters even worse, the apostles decided that his preaching was stirring up too much trouble for the church. And so they took him to Caesarea and put him on a boat and sent him home to Tarsus, uh, to stay in Tarsus uh, quietly out of the way. You know, in fulfilling our calling, there's often bumps along the way. We need those who will encourage us and stand with us uh, during these times. You know, Saul spent 10 years in Tarsus waiting to fulfill the calling that God had for his life. He could have been forgiven for thinking that he was forgotten and maybe he should give up. But God never forgot Paul, never forgot Saul, and neither did Barnabas. I can't imagine how hard it was for Saul to sit in his thumbs for all these 10 years, waiting patiently and learning at the feet of Jesus. But then some Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, they went to a place called Antioch and they began to preach the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. You see, up until that point, the church was mainly uh, comprised of Jewish Christians, Christians from a Jewish background. Uh, but these uh, believers began to teach Gentiles and the Gentiles began to respond. They gave their life to Jesus and uh, Jesus came and transformed and changed their life. Now, when the news of the Gentiles coming to Jesus reached the church in Jerusalem and the apostles, uh, they wondered who they should send. And of course, they chose Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to send to Antioch to find out what was going on, but also to encourage the, the, the new Christians there. And Acts 11 describes Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And it's no wonder that's who they sent. Now, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the grace of God at work in these uh, new Christians' life. He saw how their hearts had been transformed, how their lives were renewed by the Holy Spirit. He saw their faith in Jesus and their desire to follow them. And he did what he did, he did best. It says this about him. It says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. But the very next thing he did was that he went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul and he found him and he brought Saul to Antioch uh, to join him there. 
And so Acts 11 says that then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So you see, Barnabas did more than just encourage Saul, more than just words. He actually opened the door for Saul to join them in ministry. He actually encouraged Saul to come and to join them and to begin to fulfill the call that God had for Saul in his life. And what a combination they were in Antioch, fiery Saul and encouraging Barnabas. And so the church grew amongst the Gentiles there in Antioch. And there they were first called Christians. That's where we got named little Christs. They were first named in Antioch. Now this is where it really gets interesting. Eventually, the church in Antioch decided they should send Saul and Barnabas off to reach other Gentiles, to go to other places and to tell the good news and to establish churches among the Gentiles. And it was natural that Barnabas took them first to his home in Cyprus. Let's go to Cyprus first and tell the people of Cyprus about Jesus. And on their travels, uh, the ministry team was known as Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And so the first few places they went to, it was the Barnabas and Saul ministry team. And they saw people turn in faith uh, to Jesus. But after a short time, it began to change. And rather than Barnabas and Saul, it became Saul and Barnabas. And in fact, Saul changed his name during this journey and it became Paul and Barnabas. And we see the ultimate encourager, Barnabas, encouraging Saul to fulfill his mission. And he was such a humble man, even though he had such a great reputation in the church, that he was willing to step back and allow Paul to take the lead because he knew that was the, the, the calling in Paul's life. And the, um, his passion was to see Paul fulfill that calling. And he knew his calling was to be the encourager, the supporter, the one who stood behind encouraging him. Can you imagine what it meant to Paul when his great mentor, Barnabas, said, you take the lead, Paul. Uh, you become the main preacher, the main uh, uh, gospel preacher uh, on our journeys. You know, all of us have been given a calling from God. All of us have been given a calling to do something for the kingdom of God. Even if we're just beginning to follow Jesus, or if we're more mature in our faith, all of us have been called to be part of this great work of ministry of the gospel. But all great men and women of God know that it takes uh, not only their own perseverance and courage, but also takes someone to stand alongside them uh, so that they can... Uh, fulfill the calling that God has given them. Danielle Strickland has served God in countries all over the world. She's established justice departments and church plants and launched global anti-trafficking initiatives. And she said this, she said, I've been gifted with a lot of people who saw me differently than the dominant culture. So that began with a woman from the Salvation Army who saw me. I was a juvenile delinquent addicted to crack with a massive attitude and a criminal record. And she kind of went all the way through all of those barriers and saw, I guess, Jesus in me, saw sacredness in me and called it out. And that led to an encounter I had with Jesus when I suddenly saw that God was for me and not against me. It wasn't a long, laborsome connection. It was really just someone who saw sacredness in me. And so in their calling, we need 
that Barnabas who will come alongside us and encourage us and see the calling of God in our lives and release us into uh, that calling. Now, Paul and Barnabas took with them on their first journey a young man called John Mark, and he was a cousin of Barnabas. And, but the whole adventure was too much for, for John Mark, and after a short uh, part of the journey, he left them and went back home. Um, he, he left the team and uh, went back home. And so after Paul and Barnabas had finished their first journey and had got, come back to Antioch and reported to the church what had happened amongst the Gentiles, uh, it says this in Acts 15. Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And so the great team of Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over this person, Mark, who had deserted them and, and, uh, during their first journey. And they separated over it and they went their separate ways. And Barnabas took Mark and Paul joined with uh, another believer called Silas and began to do uh, the work of evangelism. And we don't know really what happened to Barnabas and Mark because the journey in, in Acts then begins to follow Paul and Silas and their journey and what happened with them. But here's a few things we do know about Mark. John Mark went on to write what many believe to be the first of the Gospels, the first of the four Gospels. We simply know it as Mark's Gospel but it was written by John Mark. And many believe that Matthew and Luke used a lot of the material in Mark's gospel when they wrote their own gospel accounts. It also was thought that John Mark had a close relationship with the apostle Peter, and much of the material in his gospels came from that uh, close relationship with Peter. And we know this about Mark. Paul later began to understand the value of John Mark. When he was in prison awaiting his execution at the end of his life, uh, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. You know, I like to think that both Barnabas and, and Paul were both right uh, over in their decision about John Mark. Maybe the sharp disagreement they could have handled better. Uh, but perhaps... Mark was not really called to the ministry that Paul was involved in. And perhaps uh, Barnabas saw something in Mark which went beyond the ministry, which went uh, to the calling that Mark had in his life. And he wanted to encourage that in Mark. It may be that we don't do so well in our first attempt at ministry. Mark may have, may have felt rejected when Paul went off without him, uh, but Barnabas came alongside to encourage him into the ministry that he had been calling, uh, he'd been called to, to pursue his own calling in life. Without Mark's gospel, Matthew and Luke might never have been, have written their gospel. And so Barnabas had a great influence, uh, not only in what Paul did, but also in the writing of the gospels. Max Licado uh, writes this encouragement. He says, your failures are not fatal. It's not just that God loves what you do, but he loves who you are. You are his you make mistakes, but God doesn't make mistakes. And he made you, and he called you. You know, Barnabas made a colossal contribution to the growth of the first church simply by encouraging others, by standing alongside them, by seeing Christ in them, 
uh, by seeing the calling of God on their lives. One of the reasons that Sarah and I have loved being in uh, Ridge Church over this last year is because we feel it's such an encouraging uh, place uh, to be. I feel a bit like Paul uh, when he writes in 1 Thessalonians, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And I want to encourage you to continue and to increase in this whole area of encouraging each other. So will you be an encourager in 2023, a Barnabas to someone in your life? You, find, you might find that people are surprised when you begin to encourage them because it's so unusual in this world in which we live in right now. Yet it touches lives when we encourage people, when we stand with them and we honestly in, God, in a godly sense, uh, begin to encourage them in their life. It may change the course of their day, or it may even change the course of their whole life. You know, some people have the spiritual gift of encouragement. It comes naturally. They're natural encouragers. Paul wrote about this in Romans 12. He said, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. Do it. Increase. Use that calling in your life and see the importance of giving encouragement uh, to others. Others may not feel they have the natural gift, and yet when we read the New Testament, we understand we're called to be encouragers, every single one of us. And so how do we learn to encourage one another? Just in closing, here's just a few um, uh, thoughts about how to encourage other, each other. First, follow uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the great encourager who lives within us. Have your ears turned to the Holy Spirit as you go about your day, go about your week, go about your year. Uh, tune in to what God is doing uh, so that we can uh, be an encourager to others. The best encouragers are those who walk closely with Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Second, look to God's Word for insight. The New Testament is full of these amazing one another statements which really help us to be encouragers. Uh, go and uh, examine these statements, look at them, and, and put them into effect in your life. Statements like love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be kind and compassionate to one another. And if we put these into practice in our life, we'll be great encouragers. We'll be a church known for its, its encouragement. Thirdly, pray for those you wish to encourage. One of the most powerful encouragements is to find that someone has been praying for you every day. You know, when I was a pastor in Scotland, an elderly man came to me in the church and he said, can you give me the list of the families in the church? This man had been involved in many Christian ministries. He'd, he'd even uh, uh, planted a missions organization. Many things he'd done in his life. But he was very elderly and he just wanted to pray. And he took that list and he began to pray through it and he phoned the people he was praying for. And with almost without exception, people said to me when he phoned, it was just the encouragement they needed. They needed to know that somebody was praying for them on that day. And so pray for those uh, that you want to encourage. You know, there are so many people who need uh, to be encouraged. You know, some are just new to the faith in Jesus. They need people to come alongside and encourage them to walk the way that Jesus calls them to walk. And so you can find somebody of your own gender who's just new to the faith and get alongside them and encourage them. 
Perhaps you don't think that people who are more mature in the faith than you need encouragement, but they need encouragement too. They need someone who will come alongside them, even who's young in the faith, and encourage them. And if, as you form a relationship with somebody who's more mature, perhaps a mentoring relationship, what an encouragement it is to both sides, both to you who's been mentored and to uh, the person who's mentoring you. So, so those who are more mature in the faith. And then encourage those who are not yet part of the Christian family, who have not yet come to faith in Jesus. Uh, so often as we become Christians, we quite rightly become involved in Christian ministry. Uh, but so often we lose contact with those who are not believers. But make it a goal this year to come along someone, uh, aside someone who's interested in the Christian faith and help them to walk the journey towards Christ and be an encouragement to them. Will you become an investor in others, an encourager of others by simple encouragement, make the same kind of impact in our generation uh, that Barnabas made in his generation. May our love for one another grow deeper and deeper as we encourage one another uh, to follow Jesus. Let's just pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the great example of uh, men like Barnabas who encouraged uh, those who uh, had just come to faith, even with uh, such a, a, a terrible background, who had come to faith to join with the church and become part of the church. Thank you for his encouragement for those to fulfill their calling in their life, uh, not only encouraging them, but walking with them and joining with them. Uh, in fulfilling their, their mission. And Lord, we pray for uh, Ridge Church that this year uh, we, will be, uh, uh, we will double down on encouraging one another and encouraging those outside the church to become part of us. Uh, Lord, just bless us this year. Uh, encourage each one here today, we pray. Uh, encourage us to be uh, more like Barnabas and to be an encourager of others for Jesus' sake. Amen.